Well, I'm excited about uh, the panel that we have, the opportunity to talk about, I think, a very important issue that we just can't ignore um, in our in our in our culture, in our churches, and in our lives. And so, I'm excited to introduce to you our moderator, uh, who is Christy Peel, Why uh, a Free attender, who is a reporter, journalist, entrepreneur, who has followed God's vision to create a a media minefield is what you're called company that has a mission to help businesses and organizations through media keep their mission to mission. And there's all stuff around that. But I'm just going to say thank you, Christy, for being the one to moderate this. And I'm going to just turn it over to you right away. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to, to moderate the panel, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So I'm going to just move through how the boxes as they are on my screen, which might be different than how you're seeing. Julian Johnson is from the south side of Chicago. Philadelphia um, family and has a really unique perspective. Excited to have you participating today and attends Wayzata Free. Brian Hubbard is the deputy chief of, in Crystal, Minnesota, attended Wayzata Free with his family for quite some time. And uh, I'm really, your perspective is going to be fantastic for us today. And Sandy Gilbert, you've been at Wayzata Free longer than Pastor Kevin and me. So you've been there a long time and have a unique perspective. And I think that all of us are going to bring something. And the goal, you know, the goal here today is just to, uh, what happened George Floyd's murder ignited Outrage, it ignited conversation, and I think churches have to be part of this conversation. And Kevin, I really appreciate that you're stepping into that bravely. And if we can change hearts and minds uh, within our families, means we have to have some conversations with people who have walked and had different experiences than we have had. So with that, Kevin, I know you have a conversation starter for us this morning. And so I'll go ahead and just kind of kick it off with this, because I'm hoping that this is not just a one-time conversation, but we're hoping to start a podcast of conversations with other people, and we'll get into that later. But I want you to think with me for a minute about some scenarios. Just imagine this. Here is a senior white police officer, maybe some 17 years on the force, with his knee on a man's neck, standing near him as an Asian-American officer, who's been on the force for seven to eight years, and then a couple of more rookie officers, one kneeling on his back, another holding his legs. And I, I, I thought this, what if one of the rookie police officers just stopped about two to three minutes into the incident, knocked the police officer off the guy's neck, and we wouldn't even be talking about this today. But he didn't. And for what reason, we don't know. I think of those rookie police officers, and if they had done that, they could have easily been reprimanded by uh, their senior officer. I, I don't know how it works, uh, Brian, but possibly maybe a demerit in his file, or maybe he didn't do anything because he's seen this knee-on-the-neck maneuver a number of times before, and this is no different. Didn't expect any kind of negative outcome in some sense. But I want you to think about this as well, because I want you to think about this idea of com- of involvement where we maybe don't do something. Crowds stood around and watched. And at a certain point, I was thinking, they heard the historic words, I can't breathe, and they responded. They said, you know, get, you know, you know, someone said, you know, leave, get off him, whatever. But why didn't someone from the crowd tackle that police officer off of Floyd's neck? Why didn't something, somebody do something? Were they afraid of being arrested or charged for assaulting an officer? Because I honestly, that would be going through my mind. I wouldn't jump into it that way. So 
So I want you to think with me as a congregation, as someone who is listening today to this live stream or whatever means, if just one person had done something, hardly anyone would know about this single incident. And here's kind of what I think is important. If you think of this incident, and if one is the worst, most horrible outcome that shocks um, all people, and 100 is the slightest offense, this is, and I think you'd all agree, a one. It's captured not just our city, our nation, but the world. If someone had just knocked the police officer off of Floyd's neck, this may have been merely, let's say, a 30 or 40 on that scale of 1 to 100. But it wasn't. It was a 1. And everyone knows about it, and there is now a cry for change and reflection. So continue to think with me and think along with me on this. If the police officer knocked off, um, it was knocked off Floyd's neck, this drops down to a scale to a 30 or a 40, and only a few people maybe in the crowd know about this. And here's what's really important in my mind. These 30 to 40 kind of offenses, and I'm not talking just with the police force, I'm talking about in society in general, happen all the time and nothing's done. And in a sense, we are all in that crowd, and to some degree or another, we are all complicit. And this incident recorded on a camera merely makes it undeniable. Systemic racism or institutional oppression or structured violence merely means that incidents like these are embedded in our systems, institutions, and structures. And even deeper than that, they're embedded in our hearts. We want to think that if someone just knocked the police officer off Floyd's neck, things would be different. But it's not that simple. It's not a one-time incident that's the problem because it hits maybe a one on the ratio Richter scale. It's the incidents that happen to lesser degrees over and over, again and again, for years and years. It's a complex and deep issue. And to one degree or another, we're all complicit. So, Christy, let's start the conversation. Thanks, Kevin. So we've all seen the video. We've seen what's happened in the aftermath. I think to Kevin's point, everyone is reacting uh, differently, and yet I can't imagine people aren't deeply impacted in different ways. So I think let's just start with uh, how have you been impacted in the since since you saw that video the first time? And we'll go backwards order. So, Sandy, I'm going to start with you. I've uh, been horrified by, by this uh, to the point of tears. I, I I can't believe this could happen. I've been hearing about things like this uh, since uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated um, when I was a senior in high school, and I'm still mourning him. This is so horrible, and I know because I have broken up fights. As an old white woman standing there, I would be screaming and screaming and screaming to get Get him off. I wouldn't intervene personally, but I, I do do that. I do intervene, and I, uh, I, I intend to intervene now uh, legally, and I, I'm really very upset about it. Thank you, Brian. So I, uh, as as is often the case, I uh, saw the video before before it made its way into the mainstream, um, and. Uh, it, when you are in this profession, uh, I, I have seen lots and lots of things that you can't unsee. This is, uh, th- there's nothing about, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing about, but there's lots about this job that's not pleasant. And uh, and so I've seen a lot of things that people should not have to see, that it's it's not okay to see. Um, 
and you you move on, right? At some level, that's have to how you have to cope with that. Um, so when I when uh, one of my uh, one of my officers asked if I had seen the video, which I hadn't heard about yet, um, I saw the video, and that's a video you can't unsee. Um, it is uh, it is not only something you shouldn't have to see, uh, but it's something that you can't move past. And and that comes from the perspective of um, not knowing necessarily all of the backstory, but but seeing the story that you can see in that video. I have a pretty good sense of what I think should happen in that situation, including all of the training that we received. Um, and that's not, that's not what happened in my opinion. And I am not even a little bit alone in the law enforcement community in thinking that that's not what should happen. The other piece for me, um, and these, you know, I've been, I've been in law enforcement for almost 15 years. Um, we obviously, as we all know, have these incidents that come up with, you know, unfortunately with some regularity as as uh, Sandy mentioned and as Kevin mentioned, they happen a bunch that nobody hears about. But we've had plenty of high-profile ones that have happened since I've been a law enforcement officer. My son is uh, a 19-year-old, very dark-skinned, tall uh, kid with dreadlocks. And uh, every time these incidents happen, we have to get introspective in our house to rectify what is it that is the public narrative and what are the things that we're hearing in social media and, and in the regular media and what are the things that we know to be true about what's right and what God calls us to do. And, uh, and that's a hard conversation to have with him who's trying to, trying to piece all this together. So um, while I think it's personal for most officers who would see that and would be pained by it, for me, it, it, it takes on a whole different level of, because I know that's not what I represent, and I know that's not what most of the folks, and in fact, I'll say almost all of the folks that I work with, um, it's not what they represent. But now I have to make that personal uh, in my house. Thank you. Julian? Yeah, so I, I love hearing what I've heard so far. It's all thought-provoking for me as I, as I come up with my, my real responses here. So the first thing that jumps out to me is, you know, when I see the video, I think to myself that hurt people hurt people, right? And, and I, I, you know, similar to what, what uh, Brian was saying, you know, the video shows one, one tail of the tape is horrifying to watch. And it hits me and I'm sure everyone right to the core emotionally and a lot of stuff gets kicked up. Um, so it, it was just painful to watch. It was sad to see. It's one thing for how I'm processing it myself through my experiences, but then it's another thing to try to to distill and discern meaning and message while honoring the pain that my kids have to have to navigate in their experiences. Because you know, all of us with kids or with family know that each of them are different, and some are empaths, and some are more logical and rational. And so, you know, it makes it not bifurcate, but it just, it magnifies the amount of perspectives that I need to try to bring to the table and, and bring out in my own family, let alone having conversations with a friend or a family member and, or the church or the public. Right. So this is one of those moments where we had the pandemic feed into this situation and it was already a fire, a forest fire going. So I've, I, I, I'm seeing this as a time where I just need to honor the emotions 
um, not judge them for any of us, but I'm a very, I'm very uh, positive focused person. And I'm trying to distill what do we do from here and what's the real message from here. So that's, that's where I'm at, honestly, right now. You have several of you talked about it uh, moving on. And, you know, Ferguson, has, Ferguson happened. Rodney King happened. The, the, we've been seeing these images uh, for decades. And yet I don't think any of us have been quite as um, impacted or, okay, this has to, like this right now it has to change. This, something has to be different going forward. What is that? It isn't a, a it isn't a one time thing. What is the church's responsibility? And I, I'm not I don't want to talk politics because that goes a whole different place. But but thinking about moving on and healing and look, having this be different in the future, what does that mean to each of you, Brian? Um, so I mean, I mean, one of the other things for me this week, and and I think I'm on day number twelve of um, at working as we try to to keep the community safe as we've been asked to do through all of the other things that are happening as a part of this um, is, is trying to work with uh, the team of officers I work with um, who are in a very difficult spot. And, and yep, we signed on for it. We signed on to do a hard job. We signed on knowing that not everybody's a fan. That's, that's true. That's a true statement. Um, but again, because I know most of the officers have seen that video and have the same reaction, we've been lumped into that. And um, we, we spend, we, we, because it's easy for us to do as people, um, we lump everybody together. And so the assumption is that we're all like that. Well, now I got officers who are, who, and their families, more frankly, who are scared for them to be working right now, um, that are having to get past that and, and, and get into this just to continue to make sure that we have law and order. Um, that's certainly at the forefront of my mind is making sure that we keep them in a good headspace and that we keep them encouraged and that we know that they're doing good work. I say that as the segue to answer your question, Christy, in that, you know, what, what gets lost in this conversation and, and I understand why, and I don't necessarily disagree because we need to keep it going is um, the suggestion that the needle hasn't moved at all. The suggestion that uh, what we saw there and a group of officers who, who reacted and or didn't react is indicative of all police officers everywhere. No. We often don't leave ourselves space to suggest that there has been movement. And, and for me, that, that becomes difficult because I know as a, as a law enforcement leader – and as just a cop, I know what conduct is going to be acceptable to me or not. And I know what's going to happen if I get any reports of any, something way less than what we observed there. I know what the reaction is going to be, and I know it's going to be swift. Do we have work to do? Do we need to change? Do we need to continue to, to change the culture? Uh, uh, absolutely. There's no question. Um, but, but I hope that we can have some discussion um, that the needle does move, that, 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 we are, that we are, I believe, as a profession, better than we were 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Now, does that change that this happened and that it, we, we have a long way to go? It doesn't. Um, but the suggestion is that we start at zero. 
that may be true in Minneapolis. I'm not in Minneapolis, but I will I will proudly say that when I look at the men and women that I serve alongside, we're not at zero. We no. we are farther ahead in that, and we'll continue to push that needle forward. Thank you, and I think that's a really good distinction because there's the police brutality piece, which is one piece of it, and then there's a, a community that has feels unheard. And when people feel unheard, they take to the streets in ways we've never seen. There's civil unrest, and that's the conversation that I think people feel uh, just based on you know what you read that there's these words uh, that you know we probably haven't spent enough time talking about systemic racism, systemic oppression, unconscious bias, all these different things, and that has been bubbled to the surface in a way that I think you know conversations like this can can make an impact in how people think and how they feel. Julian. Do you want to weigh into this? Yeah, and speaking of weigh, it's a lot of weight, right, just on my heart. There's so much to say, and I'll, but I'll try to condense it very, very quickly. So um, good to hear just the perspective from others, really. Um, I feel like this is a chance to learn on all sides of the coin. So for me, you know, really what my, my presuppositions that brings me to where I'm at and where I come from is – you know, my life is is one common theme of navigating change and major transitions. And so, you know, um, from from childhood up to where I'm at now, I guess the major important factors there are, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a veteran of war, so I've been overseas. I've seen different cultures. I've seen how cultures are constructed and different tensions between different demographics, if you will. Um, I've, you know, I, I've... I've, I've come full uh, to Minnesota from, from Germany, for example. I, I moved from Chicago to the a very you know, rich suburbs of, of uh, Pennsylvania. And each of those major transitions, um, I've had to, I, I want to say master, but I've had to improve my ability to manage change and, you know, manage my emotions, observe the environments, navigate friend, people find out who were potential, you know, saboteurs, so on and so forth. That sounds like a bunch of, you know, it's a lot of stuff to deal with. But I think a lot of people had to do that. I've had to focus on it, though. And I've and now with starting my company, my business, what I do for comp- large, large cap clients is I help teams of people navigate major changes. And the way that I've come to do that better today is I've actually gotten a lot more, I've gotten away from the idea of having to change hats for different people and different reasons because that, that diffuses my, my, my presence, if you will, uh, my ability to really pay attention and not get lost in details, not get caught up in emotions, you know, um, not just have a, a hot spot or a pet passion that I'm, that I'm blinded about um, and really care about perspective and work with people at an individual level. So, where full circle now I'm much more in a coaching arena. I can appreciate that a person like myself, perhaps with my skin color, right. Or something similar, something that's easily identifiable. You can't change your name, for example, and, and blend in. Um, there's some inside work that all of us need to do. I don't care what color you are. All of us need to do that enables us to navigate change better. And when I go into companies now, or when I work with one-on-one uh, clients, I'm recognizing a lot more themes that people, all kind of people struggle with that. And everyone has their own makeup that allows them to do that to greater or lesser degrees. And part of my responsibility is to make space for myself, 
for my kids and for those clients to evoke awareness of what they need to 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 obtain whatever goals and how does this apply to 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 this time and what we're doing so what i'm seeing is i'm seeing that you know there there's everyone's going to have their pet passion right so you know if you're in a, if you're in the police force i would not have had that perspective that brian just provided and so it would be a flaw of me to 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 judge or to provide insight or input into that but what i do have insight into is myself and i think this is where i'm hoping we get to people get to is they make space to to do that insight work to just you know not judge not get too lost in the, in, the, in the details but come back up be reflective um realize that there's different you know there's one body but many different parts even in a church perspective right like there's there's a lot to each of us that we bring to the table that this is a time to really think about meditate on whatever it is pray about of where can i play best and and where can I, where's my what's my sphere of influence and what can I do and so part of what I want to see happen and what I am hoping for is I'm hoping to um, I'm hoping that that people don't get peer pressure into doing something that isn't you know right for you or that's not your place to play and it's it's it, that's okay it may be okay to to not to not you know try to go on on, on Capitol Hill and and demonstrate that may be okay. Um, I do want to see change. I think th- you're right, Christy, that uh, rioting and, and some of this stuff is just the language of, of the of people that don't feel heard. My kids feel like that sometimes as a, as a parent, not even talking about politics or, or racial issues. So my kids feel unheard. My wife sometimes feels unheard. I think we all have experience with what it feels like to be unheard or to be the person that's not listening well. And so to me, that's where the skill and the work lies for each of us. Uh, Sandy, in hearing all of that and, and where we started with that conversation, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I really do resonate with what uh, both uh, Julian and uh, Brian said. Uh, one of my first reactions is, what is this doing to the rest of the police force? The, they've got to be so concerned about this and giving up the precinct. I watched them racing out with their cars and I thought, think of the pain of, uh, of their experience and how did they do their job now? There, there needs to be a lot of work. But I also remember, um, in when I grew up, there were no black people on TV. There was, uh, nobody who was, uh, uh, a manager uh, of a of a sporting uh, team. Nobody was a pitcher. No black people were um, quarterbacks. And uh, now, I mean, it, there's it, all over TV. You can see black expression and black faces, and and it is so much better than it was. So there. We've got Title VII. We've got all sorts of Minnesota Human Rights Act and the departments that take this very seriously. There is good that has happened. Um, but I do think it starts with our own attitudes. And one thing I think we really are guilty of is 
deciding which political view we are on and shutting out all other voices. And so we've got to listen to each other. We've got to listen to the governor and give him respect. We have to listen to the president and give him respect. And I am now tuning out all of the nasty statements. I just want to hear the kernel of what people say and I want to be fair in my judgments. And, and so I research things. And I, uh, Barack Obama said something I thought was very helpful about this whole thing. He said, so let's not ex- excuse violence or rationalize it or participate in it. If we want our criminal justice system and American society at large, to operate on a higher ethical code, then we have to model that code ourselves. And then he offered specific advice. Every law enforcement agency should have clear policies, including an independent body that conducts investigations of alleged misconduct. And with that independent body, we could have people who are saying, no, this isn't what is happening here. But we've got independent judges, and I don't mean even judges, but advisors. Help help these police officers be able to uh, muster their, uh, at, at their own integrity and not be reacting to the, I know, the terrible things that they deal with. Um, and, and we have to have the right psychological testing. I know they have psychological testing, but some of these people are not well suited to be police officers. And maybe we have to put some more money into it. There are so many things, and it starts with us, with prayer ourselves. And I know I'm a very, very aggressive trial lawyer. And before my first uh, fraud trial, when I was a young lawyer, I all of a sudden it, it hit me, you know, this isn't going to be fun for the people I'm going to stand up in open court and accuse of fraud. This is really bad to do that to people. You better make certain, Sandy, that you know what you're talking about. And I think then I prayed about it and I prayed, Lord, if I am wrong, stop me. If I say anything that is inaccurate, stop me. And I think if if our general society would just exercise that and pray about everything that we say and everything we do, maybe we would be a society that is more respectful of other opinions. Yes, Brian, go ahead. You know, as as Sandy's talking, I um, you know, I one of the things, and and it's not it's not what necessarily people want to hear right now. Um, because we do want to make it political, we do want to we do want to go broad. But I, I I heard a pastor speak this last week, and uh, and uh, for me it, it was a it was a good reminder that unfortunately I probably need way more often. Um, th- this is a sin problem. Th- th- all of it, all of it, every bit of it, every single thread of this is a sin problem. If I can acknowledge that first, it makes it a little easier for me to move forward because I, I heard I heard a good pastor once say that God doesn't he doesn't line those sins up. It's a, if it's a sin problem, it pains him all the same. Um, and so I, I guess I would just as you're talking, Sandy, that that that's what I think is for me. I've I've needed to keep that reminder of we're all sinners, all of us, regardless of where we come at this thing. 
And we're just about to the end. I just have one more question. I grew up in a, an environment like you, Sandy, where I remember the first black man I saw, and it was on Sesame Street. And uh, that that's shocking. You know, now that that's a shocking thing to say. But And so we talked about, for a lot of years in this country, being um, colorblind. And let's not see color. And there's a lot of conversations now about, and it's really important to see color because it's really important to see experiences and it's really important to understand the different experiences and perspectives. So in each of your opinions, how do you think about seeing color or not seeing color uh, and any tips you have about leaning into conversations? The reality is those of us that go to Wyzetta Free Church, we worship with people that look like us. Except for you, Jillian. Um, but, I mean, everybody's white, right? So, like, so we have to uh, – um, how, how do we lean into this when we're living in a place that's mostly white, mostly has one experience? Um, Jillian, can you start? Yes, absolutely. And so uh, let me first clarify, I'm not the only black person that was there <laughs> for anybody that's listening to this. It's true. You're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so the uh, – so how do we lean into this? And so a couple of things really quickly. So one, there's Pareto principle, right, at play. Like I've heard already, right, this is not the majority of any anything. What we're seeing right, happening right now is just, it's almost like death of a thousand cuts. This is one instance that has been seen, the image of it has been focused on, number one, promoted and seen by folks, and it's embedded in a lot of people's image imagery in their in their mind and to me um i think i'm looking at this from my my young son's perspective right he's five so if i'm looking and getting his his psyche i don't want my kid to grow up with this being a major part of his psychological you know being so my hope for us and for you or for anyone i'm saying you generally here is do what it needs do what needs to be done to make space in your life to have a additional an additional conversation, just just one, and then on top of that, here's my big one as a black person at Wyzetta Free, one of three, let's say, right? I'll say <laughs> this: I've navigated this my whole life. There's many a times I have conversations with a person from a different perspective. Forget whatever that perspective is, and they lean on that one perspective as if it's representative of the whole. And one of my pet peeves is 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 thinking or feeling that um, that a person I'm I'm lumped into a group, if you will. Not that I'm against. I love my community or or any other you know veterans or for whatever. Right. I love them all, but I also have a unique uh, set of experiences, just like I have a unique immune system. And so you don't if you don't have the capacity to take on everyone's perspective, which we don't, then follow the Jesus model. And just, you know, speak your truth and pay attention and, and, and lead with love is, is what I would recommend. That's how you lean into it. Thank you. Brian? I think that was a, that was a great point, Julian. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I've never I've never been a fan of extremism. Um, that that's just me. I, and I don't care whether you, I totally agree with you. I, I, I think when you move to the extreme, it leaves you no room. Um, for navigating it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I grew up, I grew up as a biracial kid in the Minneapolis suburbs before that was a thing. There biracial wasn't a thing in the seventies. And so I was the darkest thing in my school. 
So there was nobody to lean to on the dark side, and the light folks knew that I wasn't part of them. And uh, and I navigated that, and and I think it was in that arena that that this colorblindness, at least for me, came because my parents were like, hey, if they don't want to be with you, they don't want to be with you. You need to move past that. However, we know that people's experiences, as Julian says, are all different. And the problem becomes when we refuse to be willing to have the conversation. And by having a conversation, that doesn't mean I talk. That means I say something and you reflect and you listen. When we stop being willing to have that, um, that's when, when we find ourselves not being able to get anywhere. Sandy? You get the last word. Well, I think the biggest impact we can have is on our own families. And I can see that in what Brian and Julian have said. That is a very big uh, concern for me is how are my daughters doing with this? What are they doing about it? And what um, are my grandchildren thinking uh, about it? So I have had many dialogues with them about it and talking about my perspective and mostly listening to theirs, but especially monitoring um, my grandchildren because, um, as Julian said, I don't want this to define their view of what America is or what who police officers are or what the black community wants because it is individual, uh, as Brian said. So I want them to be sensitive people who are concerned with uh, human rights, and I want them to be activists in their own way to make every day a better day for the people around them. Thank you. I think the conversation has been excellent. I know it's just the beginning, and I think the to wrap it all up, uh, there's so many opportunities to have conversations with people one-on-one, podcasts, movies, books. Lean into some other perspective and go into that with an with open eyes, open mind, open heart. And we need love, all of us. We need more love, I think, and the best place to find love is open Bible. Well, I'm excited.